Can I get a witness? You probably have made that cry or that request at one time or the other in your life. Uh, Those of us who are older individuals and who grew up in the church, uh, no doubt have heard some of the old folks say, can I get a witness? And when they made that request, they were looking for someone to agree with them with regards to what they were testifying to. They wanted somebody to bear witness to what was being said. In a sense, the aged John, the apostle John, stands in the midst of his readers and asks the question, can I get a witness? Because John has been testifying about Jesus throughout this book that we call First John. He has let us know who Jesus is, that Jesus is indeed God's son, that Jesus is the advocate for the believer, the paraclete, that Jesus Christ is the righteous one, that Jesus Christ is the one who is the sacrifice for our sins. John has gone on record over and over again about the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 1, he tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's the last thing that he really said before the passage that we will look at this morning. In verse 5, he says, and who is the one who overcomes the world? It's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John wants to know, is there someone among his readers who will take the witness stand, so to speak, and agree with him on the identity of Jesus Christ? And when he makes that request, so to speak, I can imagine him really doing that. Because when you read these verses, the word witness is used 10 different times. John uses what I call witness language. The picture that is painted in these verses is that of a courtroom. And John calls witness after witness after witness to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our text, he provides three groups of witnesses that agree with him concerning who Jesus Christ is. And it's important that we take heed to these witnesses. Some would tell us that the idea of Christianity is a joke, that it doesn't have any grounds for a person to put their faith in Christ. John would tell us just the opposite. He wants us to know that Christianity is the real thing and that Jesus Christ is the real deal. And so he provides us with concrete evidence, concrete proof for putting our faith in Christ alone for salvation, that we don't have to take a blind leap into the dark and hope 
that this thing called Christianity is true. No, John provides the evidence that Christianity is the real thing. And not only that, John lets us know in this passage that acceptance or rejection of the witness determines your eternal destiny. What you do with the the witness that John presents here, the evidence, the testimony, will determine where you will spend your life forever. And so these are not just some nice-sounding words or some things to kind of think about and reflect upon. These are life-changing words. When John is all finished and done with these verses, he lets his readers know that the one who has Jesus has eternal life. The one who does not have Jesus does not have eternal life. These verses present us with the reality of our eternal destiny. The Apostle John, first of all, calls to the witness stand the historical witnesses. Like all of the witnesses that he will call on, they are testifying about Jesus. That's the focus of their testimony. This Jesus whom John said in verse 5 was the Son of God, he now says in verse 6 that this Jesus is Jesus Christ. He combines the historical Jesus with Jesus the Messiah. They're not two separate entities. They are one. And John is saying that these witnesses are going to testify about not just Jesus, not just the Christ, but about Jesus Christ. The historical Christ who came into this world. And that's his emphasis. He says that this Jesus Christ came. And the ones who take the witness stand can testify to that. In time and history, Jesus Christ came. Now, the historical witnesses are identified and introduced in a strange way. They're not identified by name. Uh, Instead, they're really identified by events. And even the way that John refers to these events are strange. He, He says that they're testifying about Jesus Christ who came by water and by blood. Water and blood taking the witness stand? Yes, because water and blood represents two different events in the life of Christ. Now, not everyone agrees on those two different events, but that doesn't bother me. I'm going to give you what is right. The two events, the water refers to the baptism of Jesus, and the blood refers to the crucifixion of Jesus. And so really what we have taking the witness stand, not individuals, but events. And John said, the first witness that I'm calling to the witness stand is the baptism of Jesus. 
And then the second witness that he calls is the crucifixion of Jesus. And they are both testifying about Jesus, how he came into this world, how he responded to the mission of his father. Remember back in 1 John 4, Jesus sent his son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus sent his son to be the savior of the world. The the father didn't just simply send the son, but the son responded and came. And the one who came is testified about by the event of water baptism and by the event of the crucifixion. But before we look at these isolated events, I want us to understand that both of these events are significant. Don't pit one against the other. In John's day, there were individuals who accepted the baptism of Jesus and what it said about him. But they downplayed the crucifixion of Jesus. And John says that Jesus didn't come with water only, but also with the water and with the blood, by the water and the blood. Both of these events are essential. And so John calls to the witness stand the historical event of the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. That event that's recorded in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we won't turn there, but it's a significant event because as Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and as he comes up out of the water, the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Father shouts, so to speak, from heaven and, and declares to those who are witnessing the baptism of Jesus that Jesus is his son. To put it in another way, way Jesus is the son of God. And, and the Holy Spirit is there in the form of a dove. And the dove comes down from heaven and comes into Jesus. And this all testifies to Jesus Christ. In fact, the one who baptized Jesus, John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 34, John says he saw it and he came to the conclusion that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. What a great witness to who Jesus Christ is. Don't ever leave the baptism of Jesus out. It was a result of that baptism that eventually our Lord was tempted and went into his ministry. But John is finished with that witness. He calls another witness, and that is the witness of the historical event of the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. The baptism of Jesus testifies to who he is, and so does the crucifixion of Jesus. That crucifixion where our Lord was killed, where our Lord was murdered, where our, that our Lord died in the place of sinners, became the substitute for sinners. Sinners. 
And when you think about that marvelous event, the crucifixion of Christ, that's recorded in detail for us, there are individuals who were present at the crucifixion. We sung about one of them, the dying thief, rejoiced to see that day. Remember when Jesus was crucified, his cross was in the middle, and there were two other crosses. And those two other crosses on each side of him, their criminals were being crucified. And one of the criminals, according to Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 44, one of the criminals had the audacity to mock Jesus and question Jesus. Now, if you are the son of God, come on down off the cross. The other criminal who initially was involved in that kind of taunting and mocking of Jesus, God opened his eyes on the cross. God intervened in his life. And he recognized who Jesus Christ was, that indeed he was the Son of God, that he was going to exist and live beyond the crucifixion. And he said to Jesus while hanging there on the cross as he was about to die and as Jesus was dying, he he says to him, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The, The cross testifies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is able to remember individuals and forgive their sins. And who can forget the witness of the centurion? In Mark chapter 15, verse 39, remember he was the one that was responsible for making sure Jesus was put to death. And when Jesus breathed his last breath, the centurion, I don't think it was a statement of faith, But the centurion becoming the mouthpiece of God made the statement, truly this man was the son of God. So here are the historical witnesses. The the, the witness of the baptism of Jesus and the witness of the crucifixion of Jesus. John moves from the historical witnesses to the divine witnesses. He's not finished. He's saying, I don't really need you to come to my aid and provide witnesses. I got witnesses. Whether you want to testify or not, I got witnesses. I have the witness of the crucifixion of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus. But he says, I also got divine witnesses. And so now he calls to the stand the Holy Spirit. And we read about that in verses 7 and 8. He calls the Holy Spirit, and he refers to the Holy Spirit as the one who bears witness. The the one who opens up his mouth, so to speak, and testifies about Jesus. The Spirit bears witness, and his witness, totally reliable. You know, sometimes people get on the witness stand and lie. 
I know none of you would ever do that. But witnesses do lie. You can pay witnesses sometimes to say things that aren't true. And what you really hope in any court case, that the one who is a witness will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They swear that they will do that. But here is one who will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, the Holy Spirit. And John refers to the Holy Spirit as the truth. What a designation, the truth. Now, some of you know Shaquille O'Neal. He played against a basketball player who grew up in Inglewood. And this basketball player had an amazing game. And Shaquille O'Neal, I won't tell you the exact words he said because I don't want God to strike me down dead uh, because some bad words came out of his mouth. But his bottom line was that this basketball player was the truth. Well, no, I'm sorry to say he's not the truth. Yes, he's a great basketball player. He knows longer playing, but the truth, that title, belongs to one and one alone. And it doesn't belong to any human being. It belongs to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and it's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is the truth. In the Upper Room Discourse in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit on three different occasions as the spirit of truth. So so if you want a reliable witness, if you want a trustworthy witness, the Holy Spirit is that witness. And, And the Holy Spirit is able to testify about the life of Christ from the beginning to the end. He can testify about the incarnation of Jesus, how Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. By who? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can testify about the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he was there. He came down in the form of a dove and descended upon Jesus and into Jesus. The Holy Spirit can testify about the anointing of Jesus, how the Lord himself said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. As Jesus was anointed and prepared for his ministry, he he could say that the spirit of the Lord was upon me. The Holy Spirit was there throughout the ministry of Jesus. When you think about Jesus casting out demons, when you think about Jesus healing the sick, when you think about all of the miracles that Jesus did, fools tried to attribute those miracles to the devil, to Beelzebub. But they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus did those miracles, those healings. By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can testify to the crucifixion of Jesus, to the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it's attributed to him that he's involved in Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. What better witness can you get? The the one who is the truth, the one who is reliable 
and dependable and who will tell you the whole truth. He takes the witness stand and testifies that Jesus Christ is exactly who John has been saying that he is throughout this book. Jesus' testimony harmonizes and, and fits with the testimony of the two historical events. That's what John says in verse 7 and 8. Now I realize some of you have a King James Version Bible and you got some extra words in there that seems like it's talking about the Trinity and I would just simply say it's not. If you want to know more about that, you can always see me or talk to me, etc. But the New American Standard Bible has it right. It tells us that in verse 8, for there are three that bear witness. Three that testify to Jesus. Who are they? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the water that is the baptism of Jesus, and the blood, referring to the crucifixion of Jesus. These three combined together testify about who Jesus is. And John said their testimony is in agreement. It, it merges into one. Even though each one is testifying when it's all said and done, they're saying the exact identical thing. What the Spirit says, the baptism of Jesus says, and the cross of Jesus says. The three are in agreement. John says, I'm finished with this first divine witness. Holy Spirit, you can take your seat. But there's another divine witness, and that divine witness is God the Father. Not the Son, not the Holy Spirit, but God the Father. And he's called to the witness stand. And the reason why his witness is important is introduced by the fact that in a human court, we accept the testimony of men. Isn't that the case? If you've ever been on jury duty, person after person after person come, raises their hand, swears to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And we accept that. We accept the testimony of men. We rely upon that. If we get in trouble on anything and we need somebody to testify, we go find another human being. And John says, if we accept the testimony of men, if we receive their testimony, God's testimony is greater. If you want to compare the testimony of men with the testimony of God, God's testimony is greater and superior. Man, with his finite limitations, tries to give facts. But God, with no limitations, the one who is infinite, gives facts and testifies. Man who doesn't know all things. In fact, he doesn't know many things. You're going to accept his witness, but you won't accept the witness, the testimony of God who knows everything perfectly. 
John says, any way you look at it, the witness of God the Father is superior to the witness of human beings. And it only makes sense if that you are willing to accept the testimony of men Why won't you accept the testimony of one who is greater and superior, that is, the witness of God? It doesn't make any sense. And so he wants us to know that the witness of God is greater and superior to man. And don't doubt it. Don't miss it. God has borne witness concerning his son. That is an un deniable fact. John says that at the end of verse 9. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his son. God's perspective on the matter is that he's not silent. He's not just standing back and sitting back and watching what happens. When Jesus Christ came into this world, when he lived his life on earth, the the father was not a silent witness. Remember, he's the one who said at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Remember at the transfiguration of Jesus, when Jesus' human body was transformed into glory, the father broke out from the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Obey him. Hear him. And so God has gone on record, not just at the baptism and the transfiguration, but anytime we read scripture, there God breathed scripture, it's God saying, this is who my son is. So here are the divine witnesses, the Holy Spirit, the truth, God the Father, the one who knows everything perfectly. And they're both testifying and agreeing with John with regards to who Jesus is. The divine witnesses who are the Spirit and the Father, they Testify to Jesus. Now John concludes his list of witnesses with human witnesses. He started off with historical witnesses, went to divine witnesses, and he concludes with human witnesses. And that surprises the reader of these verses because John has just downplayed human witnesses by saying that God's witness is greater and superior. But that doesn't mean that the testimony of human witnesses are of no value. And so John calls his first human witness in the beginning of verse 10. And the one that he calls is the individual who believes in the Son of God. Doesn't give him a name, describes him. And who is this? And believes, puts his trust and his faith into 
the Son of God, Jesus. This human witness doesn't just believe the propositions that are made about Jesus. That is, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the peer. He also believes the person of Christ. He entrusts himself to Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Genuine faith is not just believing the facts. Genuine faith says, I put my trust, my confidence in the one that the facts testify to. That this person who believes is described as believing into Jesus. It's like they merge themselves into Jesus and all of their hope, all of their trust, all of their faith, all of their confidence is in him and him alone. And concerning this individual, John says that this person has the testimony in itself. The Christian possesses and owns the testimony, the witness in himself. That is, it has moved from his head, so to speak, into his heart. That the witness is an inner conviction, an inner belief, an inner trust that, that says, I believe, I believe, I, I'm banking my whole life on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the one who paid the penalty for my sins, that Jesus is whom the scriptures declare that he is. That, that witness is an inner witness. It's not so much the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit, but it's our spirit, our conviction coming to grips with the fact, I believe this. I'm willing to die for this. This is not a mirage. This is not fantasy. This is fact. And, and, and while that person is on the witness stand, John does something strange. He doesn't dismiss the person. He calls another human witness. And, and the second human witness is the one who does not believe God. So there they are in the witness stand, sitting in the chair side by side. The one who believes that in Jesus as the Son of God and the one who does not believe God. God. And it's interesting how John phrases that. He doesn't say he doesn't believe in the Son of God. He says that he doesn't believe God. And the reason why he says it that way is because this witness does not believe the witness of God. Does not believe the testimony of God. That this person does not believe God. And in essence, that means he does not believe what God has said concerning his son. And the result is, shockingly, amazingly, this person makes God a liar. Let that grip you. To deny the testimony of Jesus is not some innocent act. It's not some insignificant deed. If you choose to reject 
the witness of God the Father, then you are guilty of the atrocious sin of making God a liar. You're speaking out against the character of God. You are standing before him, the one who has borne witness concerning his son, and you are saying, I don't believe it. Well, it's more than you don't believe it. What you're saying is, God, you're a liar. And you know the expression that I like to say. This puny human person stands before God and says, liar, liar, pants on fire. Can you imagine man standing before the creator and saying, you're a liar. What you have said about Jesus, you are lying. But when you reject the testimony and reject the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what you are doing. You are making God a liar. You can't change his character. God doesn't lie. So the problem is with you and not with God. John comes to verses 11 and 12, and he finally tells us what God, the Father's witness is. He said, the witness is this. And what is it? That God has given to us eternal life. I hope that wakes your sleepy soul up. Your tired soul, your weary soul. God has given us eternal life. That, my friends, is great. That's a wonderful, wonderful, marvelous statement. That God, in his infinite grace, John says, has given John the Apostle and his readers eternal life. I mean, right then and there, they probably, no, they should have just stopped and said, we need to have church. God has given us eternal life. That is an undeserved gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You don't deserve it. It's undeserved. God has given this great gift. And not only is it an undeserved gift, it's an incomparable gift. There is nothing in all of the world that compares with the gift of eternal life. You take all of the gifts that you have received and all of the gifts that I have received and all of the gifts that anyone has received and line them up. The the gift of eternal life stands head and shoulders above all of those gifts. There is nothing comparable to the gift of eternal life. Wives, you might have a nice rock on your finger, but that doesn't compare at all to the gift of eternal life. Husbands, you might have gotten a car from your wife. Doesn't compare. Somebody might have given somebody a house. Doesn't compare. Somebody might give a ton of money that pay for their college tuition. Doesn't compare. Doesn't even come close. The the gift of eternal life is an incomparable gift. Nothing, nothing compares to it. And, And we need to understand that. 
that God has given us eternal life. And it's an indescribable gift. I, I can't put words on eternal life. Yes, I know it means more than we'll live forever. But the emphasis is not on the quantity of life, but the quality of life. When you have eternal life, you know God. You've been born again. But, but it's, it's more than that. The, the, the Bible doesn't bother going into all of the details and, and the particulars of eternal life. The writers of Scripture just simply say, when the day of salvation comes, we will experience this eternal life in its fullness. In its fullness. It's an amazing, indescribable gift. But the good news is that it is an available gift. Eternal life is available. It wasn't restricted to John's time. It wasn't restricted to the Jews or to the Gentiles. It's an available gift. And that's why John says that this life is in his son. This eternal life is in Jesus Christ. It's available. It's available in Jesus Christ. And so John ends in verse 12 by saying, abruptly, it's like he doesn't want to make any connection. He just simply says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. My friends, it doesn't get any simpler than that. It doesn't get any more cold, no, uh, direct said as that. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. That's what it is. That's what the Scripture says. It's an either or. It's not a both and. Either you have eternal life or you don't. If you want to know if you have eternal life, do you have the Son? Have you believed the witness of the Father concerning his Son? Have you believed the things that John has said about him and what Christ has done? You can have the Son by repenting of your sins and putting your faith alone in Jesus Christ for salvation. And if you do that, you have the Son, and you will spend eternity in the presence of God. But if you choose to reject the testimony, if you choose not to listen to the historical witnesses, the divine witnesses and even the human witnesses, the good and bad human witnesses, then you don't have the Son. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. There, there's no other way to get this gracious gift from God of eternal life. He doesn't say, do you have a membership card at Fairview? It doesn't say if you sing in the choir or if you teach Sunday school or if you come to church on a regular basis. That is not having the son. You need the son. And if you have the son, you have eternal life. If you don't have the son, then you do not have eternal life and you will spend eternity in the lake of fire, away from the presence of God.
doesn't get any simpler than that. That's what the Word of God is saying. So what a parade of witnesses that John has assembled to testify about Jesus Christ. John, can you get a witness? John said, I can get a witness. I got two historical witnesses. The water and the blood, the baptism of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus, they testify about him. I I can get two divine witnesses. I can call on the Holy Spirit, the truth, and, and God the Father who has borne witness about his son. And they testify about Jesus. I I can even get human witnesses. Those who have believed into the Son of God. Who have the witness in themselves. And I can even call on fools to be witnesses. Who who reject God's witness. who, who, Who try to do the impossible. And that is make God a liar. You can't make God a liar. You don't have that ability. His character, his nature is that he does not lie. So what he says about his son is true. And so it all boils down to, are you going to believe the witness? Are you going to accept the witness or reject it? If you choose to accept it, You repent of your sins and you put your faith in Christ. And that means you have eternal life. If you choose to reject it, if you think that what John says is not true, if you think what the historical witness says is not true, if you think what the divine witnesses said is not true, if you think all these witnesses are liars, then you do not have the Son and You do not have eternal life, and you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. He who has the Son has eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the testimony about Jesus Christ. Thank you for the assurance that we can have that Christianity is the real thing. Thank you for the witnesses. And we know, Father, that there's even more witnesses in your word. But thank you for the witness of the water and the blood and the witness of the Spirit and God the Father and and the witness of those who have believed into Jesus who have the witness in themselves. Thank you for all of this evidence that you have provided so that men and women, boys and girls can have eternal life. Thank you for this indescribable, incomparable, undeserved gift that you give to those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ this gift of eternal life. Nothing like it, nothing better than it. Thank you for blessing us with eternal life. 
And I pray for those under the sound of my voice who don't have Jesus and thus don't have eternal life. May today be the day of salvation for them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.